from Chief O'Halloran's Bullhorn, it's the IGN Digigods. So please welcome two men who know that Chief O'Halloran was a character from the Towering Inferno, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Love those Irwin Allen references. Bob, to whom do we owe that outstanding listener-supplied opening? Lenny Timmons, thank you. Thank you, Lenny. Mark, you look like you're dead to the world. Can I tell you how I spent my lunch today? How'd you spend your lunch today? Now, this has nothing to do with movies or DVDs. Right. But it really made me angry. Okay. So at lunch, I walked to the yogurt store. And at the frozen yogurt store, right. uh, you build your own yogurt. You take the empty cup. And you fill it with yogurt and toppings and uh, fudge and whatever. Yeah. So I walk, uh, I take the empty cup, fill it up with some yogurt, walk over to the uh, hot fudge uh, uh, thing with the pump. You know, you pump it and the hot fudge comes out. So I walk up to the hot fudge thing. I pump the hot fudge thing and a big 10-inch splurge of hot fudge goes all over my pants. Oh, that's so nice. So I say to the guy, I say, damn it. You, the hot fudge went all over my pants. You get better pay for the dry cleaning. He says, no, we give you free yogurt. I said, I don't want free yogurt. Pay for the dry cleaning. He goes, no, no, no. You are yogurt on us. I said, no, no. The yogurt's on me. It's on my <laughs> pants. I want free dry cleaning. So he won't do it. And I'm thinking to myself, now... Uh, People's court. Exactly. Now, here's the thing. The, dun, dun, dun. the price of dry cleaning, dun, 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 dun. the price of dry cleaning, yeah. and the price of a free yogurt, mm. about the same, right? Quarter mm. five bucks. Sure. One of them makes your customer happy and makes him feel taken care of. Yes. The other is a bunch of lousy yogurt. <laughs> so he decides on the lousy yogurt. So I'm like, F you, and I leave. Now I've got an enormous 10 inch schmear of hot fudge all over my pants. So I go to the... Sure. So, exactly. So I go to the mall. Been having problems, have you? Yes, I have. Digestive problems? Yes. Oh, when you get older, you know how it is. Yeah. Um, so I get in my car. I drive to the, uh, to the mall. And I go, Banana Republic. I got to get a new pair of pants. Yeah. So I go to Banana Republic. I pick out a <laughs> pair of pants. And I walk up to the guy. And, I, and the, the, the pants I bought, I walk up there. They're, about, they're $69.95 or whatever they are. Pricey. I walk, I walk up there. Turns out that... No, no, they're not sixty nine ninety five. They're one hundred ninety five ninety five, one hundred ninety five dollar pants, uh-huh. slacks. Yeah. Now here's the thing, I had already spent <laughs> about fifteen minutes trying on pants that I thought were sixty nine ninety five before deciding on these pants that I thought were sixty nine ninety five. Oh my gosh. So after putting up with the yogurt and the hot fudge and the arguing yeah. and the driving and the trying on the pants. I get to the cash register. She says, no, no, it's $195. I'm like, you know what? I'll take them. So basically, you a seven-cent schmear <laughs> of hot fudge cost me a $200. And then when I got back to the office, I immediately turned around and took those pants to the dry cleaners because there's a dry cleaner near my office. So my lunch was, let's recap, yogurt, fudge, pants, Banana Republic, $200 dry cleaner. That was my lunch. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. That's pretty awesome. It's a great story. <laughs> well, the, the DVD news. Uh, oh, oh can't this possibly, is a DVD show? Yeah, I don't know how we can live up to that. But uh, amazing announcement just today from uh, Criterion. 
That's right. Tell us all about it, Unky Wade. Well, Criterion is uh, everybody's been kind of you know. It took Criterion a long time to jump onto the Blu-ray bandwagon. They they waited until that Blu-ray HD DVD war was done and buried, and then they came out with some amazing Blu-rays. And I mean, some of the state-of-the-art Blu-rays right now are all Criterion's. And the, of course, inevitable question has been: now that everything is going streaming, and uh, you have all of these uh, these web services that people can watch on their uh, web applet-enabled TVs or their their uh, their web apps or whatever you call them, you know, Vizio has those web apps. Uh, when's Criterion going to be a part of this? And just today it was announced Criterion is going to make 150 of their very best titles available on Hulu Plus, which is the non-free subscription-based version of Hulu. And uh, there's going to be about 300 more to follow soon. So pretty soon you're going to have uh, over 450 Criterion Collection movies available instantly from Hulu, Hulu Plus, assuming that you are, you are a subscriber. I don't like it. Why don't you like it, Mark? Because we do a DVD podcast, Wade. If there's yes. no more DVDs because everything's streaming, we're yeah. out of a job. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, though. I don't think uh, I, DVDs are going to be eventually eclipsed, and I, it's going to take a while because a lot of people just are not yet invested in web streaming, and they don't have the state-of-the-art TVs. They've got DVD players. They just want to do their little Netflix thing. And Netflix streaming doesn't yet make everything available if they have a PlayStation or whatever. And uh, getting onto these other systems other than Netflix is just not going to come easily. So I think uh, I think DVDs are going to be around a while. Blu-rays are really going to survive for a long, long, long time. I just don't see people getting rid of their Blu-rays in favor of streaming because it doesn't look as good. Well, that's the hope. The hope is with Blu-rays, you get the high-definition uh, picture, you yeah. get all the extras and the booklets and whatever, and I think there's still value in that, there, there's especially, a lot of value. Well, especially with Criterion. It, it, this is the thing, and you know, on Stupid for Movies, our other show that uh, we do Thursday evenings, uh, 8 o'clock live Pacific time, uh, Mike was giving me the business the other day because I claimed that, uh, that I think he misunderstood me when I said that Blu-ray was uh, that over the holiday season, Blu-ray sales were more than expected, and uh, streaming increase was less than expected. I wasn't saying that Blu-ray is beating streaming. What I was saying was that the growth in Blu-ray was percentage-wise more than what analysts had expected, and the growth in streaming was somewhat less than what analysts had expected. Now, both of those are still growing. DVDs are flat. They're not decreasing in sale. They're just flat. So... There's a kind of a steady DVD market out there still, and that's not going the way of VHS anytime soon. So, uh, you know, I think we're, what we're seeing is not a format war as much as a kind of uh, fragmentation of the market. You got your DVD people, you got your Blu-ray people, got your streaming people, and you got a lot of people, most people, who simply choose one of the three depending on what they want to watch at any given time. That is true. Look, I watch Netflix on my iPhone. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't watch Lawrence of Arabia on my iPhone. Well, you know, uh, here are some movies that you're... We're going to start off with foreign today, Mark. We haven't talked about good foreign films in quite a while. So we're going we're gonna to blow through some foreign. You do it, Wade. Here are some foreign films that you're not going to find on streaming anytime soon. These come from Facets. And, of course, Facets uh, Video is, uh, is an outstanding company that really does a lot of very... Uh, you know, they, they do stuff, the artsy stuff, the foreign stuff, the, uh, the cool culty stuff that you're just not going to find anywhere else. And uh, some, this is for cinephiles almost entirely, but after many years of slaving away, trying to square away all kinds of technical issues and rights issues, they have finally begun delivering the Alexander Kluge collection. I know what you're thinking, Mark. Who the hell's Alexander Kluge? Isn't that what you're thinking? No, I'm, re- I'm reading the, um, 
I'm reading the invite to the Adjustment Bureau. Oh, are you? Because you know what? Uh, at this point... Uh, you don't care anymore. No. Universal is the only studio that sends out paper invites for critics. Everybody else emails their invites out. That's true. Now, I don't know why Universal... I, I guess... Why is Universal still sending theirs out? I don't know. On paper. Old habits die hard. I guess. Die hard. They're making another one of those, too. Yes, they are. Uh, but back to the subject. Alexander Kluge, just so to give our listeners a little bit of insight, Alexander Kluge was the literally the godfather of the new German cinema movement. It, it, you know, before there was Werner Herzog, before there was Fassbinder, before there was Wim Wenders, or any of those guys, uh, there was Alexander Kluge. He's the guy that pulled everybody together and said, we're going to sign the Oberhausen Manifesto, which was sort of like the uh, the, the dogma uh, vow of chastity, you know, the dogma manifesto thing long before. This is, you know, like, what, 69, 70, 71, somewhere around there. And the Oberhausen Manifesto was what they It was their big, you know, political and artistic statement about what new German cinema is going to all be about and who we are. Kluge was the guy. He's the guy. He's the one who started it all. Anyway, here is what we have so far, and there are a lot more coming, but the Kluge films have been anticipated for a long time, and this is what Facets has just given us. Yesterday Girl, The Big Mess... Willie Tobler and the Decline of the Sixth Fleet, Artists Under the Big Top, colon, Perplexed, and Part-Time Work of a Domestic Slave. Now, all of these are uh, intensely political and intensely social in nature. I, I have to say uh, they're all really, really awesome, but very intense. You got that 70s Fassbinder thing with a little bit more of an edge, to be honest. Kluge can be much edgier than any of his contemporaries. Uh, vendors and, you know, Herzog could be edgy. Uh, Fassbender could very often be edgy, but these films really have a, a, a really sharp edge to them. They're beautifully acted. And uh, from 1973, I think Part-Time Work of a Domestic Slave is absolutely fantastic. Um, Kluge's sister, Alexandra, stars in the film as uh, a woman who is... She's, um, she's kind of caught in all of these turbulent waves of what's going on in German society at the time. And it all touches on labor strife and abortion and uh, home strife. And uh, it's really kind of a, a film about a very uncomfortable kind of uh, woman's liberation. Uh, also interesting, Artists Under the Big Top, colon, Perplexed. That's the colon not spelled out, but, you know, the, uh, the typographical symbol colon. Um, this is, uh, this is a little bit more surreal in uh, some respect. It's also very, uh, it's it, another woman at the center of this thing. And it's, uh, it kind of uses the circus as a pretext for an allegory about all of the struggles that these artists were going through with, uh, with art and commerce at the time. Uh, really beautifully shot, incredibly uh, well made for 1968 in particular. And then of the remaining films, I think the one you would probably most enjoy is Yesterday Girl, because it's the story of your life, Mark. Am I, am I a girl? Yes, you are. Uh, no, this was a huge deal at the Venice International Film Festival at the time, and uh, this also once again stars uh, Kluge's sister. This one uh, was made in 1966. This is kind of like almost pre-New German cinema in a way, but you see it all emerging at the time. And his sister plays uh, this woman who's an East German and who has sort of put her entire life uh, all into a bundle hoping to uh, get through the Berlin Wall and uh, begin her life anew. And it's about all the baggage that she carries literally and figuratively. And it's, uh, it's really interesting. you got a couple of uh, cool short films on here too. Um, well, a news clip from the 66 Venice Film Festival and 
Uh, the films Brutality in Stone and Experiment in Love, the short film. So that's from the Kluge collection. A lot more really good stuff coming. And we also have, Mark, you saw the uh, Zhang Yimou film, didn't you? Which one? That one. I did A Woman, A Gun, and a Noodle Shop. A Woman, A Gun, and a Noodle Shop is uh, Zhang Yimou's uh, take on uh, Blood Simple, Coen yeah. Brothers' first film. So surreal. It is. I'll, and, I'll let you do your spiel, and then I'll, I'll, I'll deliver mine. Well, my spiel is this. I don't know why he made this film. Uh, it seems like... He loved the first film and transferred it to uh, a Chinese noodle shop and uh, to absolutely no particular effect. It's, uh, it's a little bit, it's definitely a little, um, it's more colorful, it's a little more out there, it's slightly comedic, it's definitely not as serious and brooding as, and film noirish as uh, the original Blood Simple, mm-hmm. but I don't know what... Uh, what Zhang was thinking when he decided to do this other than, uh, you know, it's just this, it's just this bug he had up his butt and he just wanted to just do it and now he can move on to something better. See, now, I, I largely agree with that. Uh, I did take a look at the Blu-ray. Uh, they sent us both the DVD and the Blu-ray and the, the DVD is not really worth looking at. I gotta be, t- I gotta be honest. The Blu-ray is, is pretty beautiful. It's pretty beautiful. It's a really well shot film because Zhang Yimou, of course, began his career as a cinematographer. A lot of people don't know that. So his films are always beautiful to look at but, Here's what's weird. This movie is, in a yes, it's the plot of Blood Simple, but it's done as a weird kind of period comedy, you know, around this. It's, it, the whole thing is very medieval. It's set in like this medieval desolate wasteland out in the Chinese desert somewhere. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know what, this is kind of Blood Simple, but it's also Dragon Inn or Dragon Gate Inn, two earlier films. One was made by Choi Huck and the other one was made, the original Dragon Gate Inn was made by... Uh, uh, King Hu, the great Taiwanese director. And it has all of the trappings of a King Hu film. So uh, my sense was that Zhang Yimou, is, is, he's bored now in his career. He's kind of like where Spielberg was, at, was after Schindler's List. He's bored. He's accomplished everything he needs to. He's won awards and accolades. He's not the, this pariah in the society anymore. He's not fighting with the government anymore. So what's he going to do? Uh, he's just going to start making, like, you know, he likes an American film and he likes uh, an Asian film. Why not splice them together? It's like a weird exercise for him. So I think it's a good film, but it's almost more like he's just trying to keep his skills sharp. He's just, you know, not really, his heart doesn't seem to be in it. I agree. I would pass on yeah. A Woman, A Gun, and A Noodle Shop. It, it, I mean, it's a good film. I, I wouldn't pass on it, but it's, you know, it, it's not his best. I uh, also want to quickly mention there's a four-pack out from Facets of uh, four films from Kobayashi. Now, Kobayashi, Masaki Kobayashi is one of the great... Uh, great Kobayashi Maru scenario eight, oh, from Star Trek see, II. I knew you'd do that. You know, Kirk cheated on the Kobayashi Maru. I know he did. And then in the, in, in the new Star Trek film, you find out like what it is he did. That's great. Which I didn't really need, but That's there it terrific. is. Anyway, uh, this is the guy who did Quaidon and uh, the amazing three-part semi-autobiographical epic that is now on Criterion, uh, The Human Condition, which you just got to see. If you haven't seen The Human Condition in all nine hours, it is mind-boggling. It's beautiful. Spend a day watching it. This is a four-set from Facets of four of his very fine films, uh, Bashing, Bootleg Film, Man Walking on Snow, and The Rebirth. These have all been out before, but they come in a nice little package now. I uh, suggest you go out and at least you know, rent these films. Okay, now we're going to blow through some very important uh, foreign language films, and I'm going to do this very, very quickly because we don't have a lot of time. The Milk of Sorrow by Claudia Loza was a uh, Golden Bear winner in Berlin in 2009, and this was also nominated for Best Foreign Language Film this last year. Uh, This is um, 
this takes this is a Peruvian film, and uh, it has a very unusual angle to it. And I I don't necessarily want to get into revealing what that angle is because you'll kind of go ooh if I tell you. But it's a it's a it's it's a, it's a how, what? How would we put this? It's it's social it's realism. It's social realism from uh, south of the border. And uh, Latin American films are getting really, really interesting these days. So I, uh, I, uh, I would recommend this, Milk of Sorrow. Um, Mother's Milk will never be the same. The Sicilian Girl is one of the, you know, Italian cinema has kind of gone really crapsville. South. Oh, man, in recent years. It's like we need Can you a, even name an Italian film you care about? It, it's gone real south. I mean, and there's just nothing happening in Italian film these days, which is Somebody needs to make, well, I liked Il, uh, Il Devo. That was good from last year. Yeah, man. I would like to make man. a movie about Berlusconi and his uh, underaged uh, prostitute. Oh, my girlfriend. gosh, it'd be the best. It'd be the Can best. Can you imagine that happened in the United States? Can you no. imagine if the President of the United States took on a 17-year-old prostitute? But, but see, remember, when I was living in France, the big news was that... Uh, Mitterrand was probably doing something. No, when I was living in France, the big news was that they had elected a porn star to parliament. You know, and that, that was like, everybody in Italy was happy about that. I mean, Italy's, Italy's politics are weird. Italy is the one country on earth that has proven you don't need a government to run a country. Because there was a time when they had something like 75 different governments in about four years. They just couldn't. They they couldn't get anything done. You're the best. And Berlusconi, mind you, this is like his fourth or fifth stint as prime minister. I know, really. He's, he he's, just keeps coming back. He's like Kissinger. He just won't go away. He will not go away. And every single time there's a scandal of some kind, and he just you know slicks his hair back and goes, "I don't pay for sex," and he's back in. It's amazing. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Like honestly, if you were the left in Italy, wouldn't you be just so depressed? Wouldn't you just think, "My gosh, how corrupt like, does a guy uh, have to be <laughs> before the country turns <laughs> on him?" Just, you know, like, what do they have to do? Uh, anyway. Uh, no, this is actually a really good Italian film. It's called The Sicilian Girl, and it is based on the true story of the the woman, the girl, who uh, basically caused the, like, the, the in, in the early 90s, caused the mafia to unravel in Sicily. And it is a fascinating story. It's really well done. Music Box Films has released it. They're getting a lot of good stuff. Uh, it's a very solid DVD. No extras on here, but forget about it. It's a good film, and if you've, if you've been missing good Italian film, that's what it's all about. Now, this next one is out on Blu-ray and on DVD. They did not send us the Blu-ray, and I'm not the least bit disappointed that they didn't because I think this film is uh, annoying as all crap. Now, Mark, I forget. Did, did you see Enter the Void? Um, I did not, but okay. I don't like uh, Gaspar Noe. So that's yeah, why I'm not a fan it. of Gaspar Noe either. Uh, you know, Andy Klein and I were on the radio uh, on NPR's Film Week talking about this, and Andy, of course, loves this because it's all you know. He's a child of the '60s and psychedelia and all this. Look, Gaspar Noe is a crazy French filmmaker who's made some horrible films. What was that first thing of his that we hated? Irreversible. No, Irreversible is the one with the rape scene. Yeah, I oh, hated that's that. Just Monica Bellucci. That's just awful. No, he made the first one. Wasn't one of this like it's like it's taxi driver with a skinhead, crazy bald man who oh, plays yeah. a butcher. That butcher, what was it? Uh, uh, it's called uh, the taxi driver butcher man. B- butcher. That's what it was. <laughs> the anyway, motion picture. Gaspar Noe. He's he's out of his mind. Now this film is technically very accomplished. It's it's there's no way to describe it. It's like there's this couple and the, this guy he like overdoses on some kind of psychedelic and then he like has an out of body experience and the whole movie is this weird trip where you're floating above people and then flashing back in his life and the whole thing is very trippy very accomplished Mo- half the movie is like one continuous shot or meant to be it gets into all of the na- it takes place in Japan of all places like you know French language people in Japan it is um 
it's out of it. It's completely out of control. Very accomplished, but totally off-putting and really just grungy and nasty and uh, very difficult to wrap your head around. It's assaultive against the audience, like the opening credits uh, take place with this thunderous beat music, and he runs what would normally be about five minutes worth of credits, runs them by in about 18 seconds. Now that I like. And it may even happen at the end of the movie. I can't remember if it's the beginning or the end because the whole thing is such a mind F. Uh, But it's really irritating. And here's what I find most annoying. There's a point near the end of the film, and I'm going to give this away, where he actually has a... He he gives you the point of view of the inside of a woman's organ while a a male member thrusts at you. Now imagine watching that on a 50-foot screen. What a jerk. Imagine watching that. Jerk. Forget the screen part. Uh, moving through High Lane by a French director named Abel Ferry. High Lane, I unfortunately had the mispl- the, uh, the extreme displeasure of seeing at the uh, Colcoa City of Light, City of Angels Festival this last year when I was on the jury. And this is, you know, this, the, here's what Abel Ferry said. He said, hey, I know, I want a Hollywood career, so I'm just going to make a movie about a bunch of kids that go, uh, go hiking, and then uh, all kinds of horrible accidents happen, and they wind up at the mercy of some crazy retarded guy who uh, is living alone in the woods. It's you know, like, it's, it's very much like... Uh, uh, Alexander Aha. Yeah, exactly. But you know, all it is, I mean, it literally, it's Friday the 13th meets Halloween. And you know what? You make that movie for $8 million and it, you wind up uh, with a Hollywood career. It's dreadful. It's just dreadful. I'm not it's, saying it's good. You know, people get into getting uh, caught in bear traps and then the, then the, the cra- look, he, they even have a picture of the crazy, the crazy like uh, dude, you know, and he's got the same backstory as uh, Michael Myers and Jason. He was like an abused child left out in the middle of the woods I'm or surprised something. I'm surprised IFC would take that on. That, that's a very low rent project for IFC to put their name on. Well, I mean, you know, they, they did a little midnight run of it around the country and that was that. Now, you know what the opening night festival, the opening night film was at the City of Light, City of Angels Festival. It was this amazing movie that will undoubtedly get remade as a horrible American film. But Heartbreaker is a rockin' movie. This stars uh, Roman Duras, who is a dude and an awesome actor, and Vanessa Parody, who, of course, is Johnny Depp's uh, wife, although not legally wife because they've never exchanged vows. But uh, Vanessa Parody, of course, was once a singer and is a pretty darn good actress in her own right, that diastema notwithstanding. Uh, but the story here is that Romain Duras, the title in French is so cool, Mark. It's uh, L'Arnaqueur. But it's. The que, Broken Heart. No. An, an Arnaqueur in France is, in French is a, a swindler, an Arnaqueur. But you spell cœur like heart instead of the usual way. So it's like a swindler of the heart. It's a little oh, wordplay. Oh, look at that. It's very clever. It doesn't translate it into doesn't. the American version. It does Oh, but it's such a clever twist of... Uh, it's a clever little pun. Anyway, the story here is that uh, Roman Duras is a guy who is hired to pull these scams where he seduces women away from would-be, you know, lovers that someone, a parent or a cousin or a somebody, doesn't want them to be with. So he breaks up relationships professionally, but only relationships that aren't good in the first place. Don't so, tell me that he meets a girl and Well, Vanessa Paradis' dad, Vanessa Paradis' dad wants to bust up her marriage, so he hires... Romanduras to be the guy, and he of course works with his sister and his sister's husband. They're a team, right? They're a whole. They put on these big cons, these elaborate cons. But I mean, we all know how the story is going to end, right? But it's so different from the way an American film would play one of these romantic comedies. It is really, really fun. It is a delightful film. All right, wait. I'm going to watch this just for you. You do that. I'm, I'm going to borrow this and watch it. Okay. 
Uh, the Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, they wouldn't get to us on Blu-ray. We're going to have to wait for it uh, next month because they ran out. But, Mark, you saw this. I did see it. This you, is know the, what? you had a nickname for this. I did? Yeah, this what is the, the film, the, the girl who completed the trilogy or something. <laughs> Wasn't that what you called it? <laughs> the girl who, you know, um, um, the girl with the dragon tattoo, absolutely terrific. Uh, the girl who played with fire, excellent. By the time you get to the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, I'm over it. And I think part of the reason I'm over it is because a lot of the film uh, takes place in a courtroom and there's a lot of explanation that goes on as all the threads are wrapped up. And it just doesn't come to that big, climactic, incredible explosion of a conclusion that you're hoping for. Um, and uh, at, also, this third one was done for TV. And it looks like it was done for TV because there's a lot of close-ups. And the money isn't there. The vistas aren't there. So at this point, I have to say that I was not all that happy with The Hornet's Nest. Although the first two are terrific. Um, Numi Rapace, if that's how you pronounce her name. Yeah, I, that's how I would pronounce it. Uh, she has since gone on to, uh, she's been discovered by a whole bunch of American directors, which is great because she'll make a lot of money. But then when all those movies suck, she'll go back to uh, wherever she's from and make movies there. Uh, anyway, uh, extras include pretty much uh, nothing. There's a featurette. And that's about it. Boom. But if you've seen the first two, you can't not see The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. Just don't expect, uh, don't expect, Brilliance. don't expect it to be a, it's satisfying in the sense that, all the threads are wrapped up, but as a film, it's not that satisfying. Bummer. Especially compared to the other two. Oh! Not yet, not yet, but not I yet. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. We're moving along. I'm almost done with the foreign stuff. Give me a second. Uh, Still Walking is a Japanese film from uh, Hirakazu Koreida, who does these wonderful kind of ethereal films about life. He's, uh, he's just a great Japanese director, and if you haven't seen Still Walking, you really need to. It's uh, it's just it's a it's a family you know it's almost like an Ozu film in some respects but with a little bit more, a little bit lighter and a little bit uh, less intensely Japanese. Um, it's just about it's a, it's about you know what family life is all about and it uh, is just a beautiful beautiful lyrical film. It's terrific. Get a little documentary on here. This is a Criterion uh, Blu-ray by the way, and you got it. It's just it's so nicely done. Uh, there's a uh, there's a documentary on here which has uh, some beautiful beautiful insights into the way he makes movies, and then a great little booklet and some video interviews with Koreeda uh, and his um, his cinematographer. So great uh, great soundtrack too. And then we also have uh, Kieslowski's The Double Life of Veronique on Blu-ray from Criterion. Another amazing Kieslowski film. If you haven't seen this, um, you got to. Now the thing here is. This film actually had some different cuts around the world. This is not going to give you that. This is the Miramax cut that was released at 97 minutes here, and um, it was released with a different ending overseas. And um, wait, 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 wait! You're saying that Miramax took a highly acclaimed foreign yes, film, that's right, and then upon its domestic release, yes, recut it so it was different. Mm-hmm. Interesting, they would do that. Yes, they're notorious for doing that. I know. That's what they do. Anyway, uh, look. I mean, but the thing is, Kieslowski did it because Harvey Weinstein persuaded him to. Like, Kieslowski wasn't opposed to it, and he actually took it a step further. He thought, he thought, ooh, wouldn't it be neat if I had a different ending for every country on Earth? Like, that's very Kieslowski. 
like Harvey was doing it just because he wanted to make it more commercial for American audiences. But Kieslowski thought, ooh, I can bend cinema in a whole new way. It sounds like something Lars von Trier would do. And then he, of course, went on to do Three Colors, Blue, White, and Red, which is even more amazing. But this is just beautiful. It has a tremendous performance um, in it from the uh, the remarkable uh, Irene Jacob, who, of course, also starred in Red, the concluding chapter in the, the uh, Blue, White, Red By trilogy. the way, back then, yeah. Irene Jacob, delicious. Yeah, I knew you were going there. She was back then, back I in know. the day. She still is. Yeah, but now she's probably like 50 or something. No, she's like 39. No right? way. How yeah. old was she when she did uh, She's like in her 20s or something. Really? Yeah. Anyway, uh, wonderful commentary here, I got to say, from Annette Insdorf, who is sort of uh, Kieslowski's biographer. Um, she will, of course, pronounce his name as Kirstoff Kieslowski, which is the way you're supposed to. I have met Annette Insdorf. She is lovely, and she is endlessly knowledgeable about Kieslowski. She, uh, they were very close friends, and uh, she knows more about him than anybody else, and she's lovely to listen to. So this is just a great commentary. A uh, bunch of short documentaries and uh, heaps and heaps of other stuff. There's even a, a, a behind-the-scenes interview with Kieslowski, who really is so dry. Um, you know, I was one of the last interviews he gave. Do you know that? That's what Before killed him. Before he died. That's what I, killed it him. It is what killed Being him. Being interviewed by you. Yeah. But uh, a lot of great stuff. I mean, it'll just give you endless uh, insights into what a wonderful uh, filmmaker he really was. So th- this is just a, an awesome, awesome Criterion uh, release. And then Amar Cord, the Fellini film that has been out from Criterion meh, for quite a long time. Also out now on Blu-ray, the 1973 film. Not one of my favorite Fellini films. I think he was a little bit off the, uh, off the, the, the nut at the time. But uh, it's, it's still a fun film. And this, of course, is all the same extras that were previously on it, including the audio commentary by Peter Brunette and Frank Burke. And I have to say, it makes me very sad because Peter Brunette died just a few months ago. Is that right? Yeah. I knew Peter and uh, met him in Cannes in 1992. Uh, a delightful scholar, uh, just a great guy, and so knowledgeable in so many ways, and uh, always gave great commentary, wrote a lot of terrific books, and uh, much to our chagrin, he passed away very unexpectedly about probably about three, four months ago. So listening to that, listening to this commentary is quite a sad thing. His legacy lives on <laughs> via does. audio commentary. And then last, there I, I did not have a chance to watch hardly any of this uh, because it. Um, I actually have. Uh, there's not enough time left in my life to do so. Heimat one, two, and three in a gigantic, massive set from uh, facets. Heimat is. It's like all of German history in one gigantic, massive chronicle. Um, this is just a... If, if you don't know anything about a Heimat, I, I, can't, I can't fill you in. No, really, Heimat is just sort of like this epic 20th century German saga, and uh, it, it ran on German television. It's sort of like roots to the, you know, times, roots times roots. It's just huge. It's massive. Anyway, all three parts of this damn thing are out in a giant heavy brick that you could build a house with, and I can't hold it up any longer, so I'm going to put it down because it's really heavy. It looks like three VHSs. It kind of does. It's just huge. It it's is just so massive. I, I, I can't, I mean, Heimat is really good. I can't imagine anybody really wanting to watch the whole thing unless, you, you know, unless you've got some kind of a terminal illness and you're bedridden and there's just nothing, and you've seen every movie ever made. If you had a terminal illness, yeah. I, you, you'd be better off watching films you love one last time than watching Heimat. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Mark, yes. tell us what you're all juiced about. Uh, Wade, one of my all-time favorite films, is now available on Blu-ray. We're talking, of course, about Network. Story of your life. <laughs> You're mad as hell. I am mad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore. 
Uh, Sidney Lumet, one of my uh, all-time favorite directors, uh, directing one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to convey how prescient Patty Chayefsky's Academy Award-winning screenplay was. What's prescient mean? It's a big word. Um, when this film was made in the seventies, there was only three television networks. He saw it all. He saw it all coming. There was not not even four. There was not a Fox. There certainly was not cable TV. There was only three. ABC, NBC, CBS, that's it. Yep. And Chayefsky somehow saw everything that was coming. He saw mm-hmm. reality television. Yep. He saw the rise of Glenn Beck, which mm-hmm. basically uh, Howard Beale is Glenn Beck. Kind of, yeah. And uh, he saw the 120-channel universe. He saw, he saw it all. It's unbelievable. Has There's, anyone ever asked Glenn Beck how he feels about that well, he is that i mean i mean do you really think he doesn't think he's that i mean come on i, I mean know. glenn beck is nothing but an hour of political theater every single day that's all it is well, but you know what i i find that it's all political theater now like well, well, I, I, I can't it, get news anywhere sense, I, I mean I, I we don't have anchors like walter cronkite anymore who just review, read you the news like you turn on even a regular anchor and they are yelling at you, and they're winking at you, and it's and you know they're they're like like dropping their pants and shaking their tukas at you. It's like all sometimes when I turn on the news. Not that I do; I don't really watch a whole lot of TV news anymore. Yeah. All I want to know is what happened in America in the last twenty four hours. That's yeah. all I want to know. I don't even want to see people interviewed. I'm tired of seeing like congressmen interviewed. I am. It's the worst. Yeah. Uh, if that's the worst, network is the best. Folks, I'm telling you, this is scathing stuff. This is hilarious, and it's tragic, and it is uh, it is off the charts amazing. And the Blu-ray, uh, while it looks better than the DVD, does not look particularly revelatory. Uh, there's, it's, there's some great extras, a six-part uh, making of documentary, a commentary by uh, the great Sidney Lumet, and a uh, vintage uh, Chasky interview from the actually Dinah Shore show, Wade. Ooh, Dinah Shore. <laughs> I like Dinah. Exactly. Dinah Shore had her own show. I know. It was Dinah. It was yeah. called Dinah. It was at the same time as the John Davidson show and Mike Douglas show and Merv. They were all the same. They all had people sitting on stools and occasionally the host would sing. It was cool. Terrible. It was awesome. All right. So, uh, folks, Network, I absolutely cannot recommend this highly enough. I absolutely implore you to at least rent this. And, and when you rent it, if you're under the age of, let's say, three, yeah. you have to understand the time that this – because you, you watch the film, you go, oh, it's Glenn Beck. Oh, they're talking about reality TV. This is 30 years before that. Yeah. No, it, it th- is. Th- those terms did not exist. It's prescient. It's prescient. It's prescient. And why then you not, not give me that? Also from the 70s, because I have to, I have to get my hard beal on. Also oh. from this – what a great cast, man. Seriously. You just don't get oh. – this this thing wow. won three acting Oscars. I know three acting Oscars. Jeez, amazing! This is an all-time classic. Peter Finch after he died, he won it posthumously. That is true. Yeah. This is an all-time classic. It yeah. must be. It must be watched. And by the way, can I say something? I love this film so much that if you can't afford the Blu-ray and you can't afford the DVD, just stream it, rent it, whatever. Oh, just watch it. If you, if you hate way, it, if you hate it, email me at gods at digigods.com and tell me that I'm full of crap. Friend of mine in Canada. Not true. You have no friends. Friend of mine in Canada, uh, Robert Morris, who uh, is one of the co-authors of the Lawrence of Arabia anniversary coffee table book, Dead. and is uh, always looking for interesting little anecdotes uh, where movies are concerned, sent me an email saying, hey, I just uh, looked at the Blu-rays of Network and the next film that you're going to talk about. And he goes, uh, you know, these are the only two films ever to uh, be nominated for Best Picture that had no score. 
That is true. You know what? That is true. That is true. Uh, Network has, has no, no score. score. It has no score. Isn't that interesting? And what also famously had no score, which I knew had no score, was this film, All the President's Men. Yep. Two great films from the 70s. And All the President's Men is on my second tier of all-time favorite films. I love this film because it is about, uh, it is about in journalism. It is about investigative journalism. Yes. And it makes sitting at a typewriter and interviewing people to get mm-hmm. to the bottom of Watergate. Yeah. Absolutely exciting. It does. It really does. It is Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, directed by the late... Uh, Alan J. Pakula. Alan J. Pakula. Was- you know, but I got to say uh, that... Uh, what's his face that uh, Redford plays? Uh, 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 you know. Bernstein. No. Redford plays the other dude who's Woodward. always on... T- Woodward. Thank you, Bob Woodward. Uh, seriously, we've all seen Bob Woodward. He should be played by Steve Carell. Like, if they were making this today, he'd be played by Steve Carell. He'd be played by he, Brian Dennehy. He, he, has no, he has no business being equated with Robert Redford. Nobody was as handsome <laughs> as Robert Redford in, in those days. Yeah, but Bob Woodward's not handsome. He never was. But Carl Bernstein is a little bit... Uh, he's got that dozen Hoffman mousiness yeah, to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the Hoffman casting is good. That's, that's good for, for Bernstein, but for... No. So for those who don't know, um, A, shame on you. And uh, B, just know that uh, the events depicted in All the President's Men brought down Richard Nixon. It's true. The uh, special features included, uh, which you will be reading about and watching because you're going to buy this thing because you should, includes a commentary by Robert Redford, which is okay. Uh, A couple of making up featurettes. There's also a 35, 36 page booklet. And also, you know, what's funny is that Hmm. the um, the uh, their main source in real life and in the movie was uh, someone who was known only as Deep Throat. Yeah. And for decades... Nobody knew who Deep Throat was. Literally, it was, it was one of the great secrets. Mm. Who was the anonymous source who gave Woodward and Bernstein all they needed to bring down the president of the United States? And well, uh, finally, before I, I he died, this. it was, uh, it was I revealed. This. I know this. It was revealed because I saw uh, the movie Dick, and it was Kirsten Dunst. And, um, and uh, what's her name? The, 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 you know. I'm not helping you with this because I don't know where it's going. You don't? No. Yeah, it's Kirsten Dunst and uh, what's her name? Who was in uh, Blue Valentine? Uh, uh, Michelle Williams. Yeah, Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst. They were uh, they were deep throat. They were not. No. No. Mark Felt, deep throat. That is was wow. that was his name. Okay. And, and and by the way, when it was finally revealed that this that this guy was deep throat, yeah. Uh, some people kind of knew because he was he worked at the bureau mm. at that time. Uh, many people were surprised. Wow! And uh, it was a big, big deal because again, the the, the de- uh, who was Deep Throat was one of the great questions for a, like a quarter century. Wow! More. All right then. Uh, so anyway, all the President's Men uh, is a must buy on Blu-ray. Uh, Network is a must anything. And this is this is one of those cool uh, Warner Brothers Blu-ray book deals. So you can we give get me that, that too if you want. Get that great thirty-six page uh, booklet deal. Uh, we also have a double disc set. Uh, now this is on Blu-ray and DVD. The Stranger, the Orson Welles film with Edward G. Robinson and Loretta Young. Uh, this is a really cool film. It's been out from public domain houses a thousand times, and uh, they all look like crap. This one, it's fine. It it's it, because it's Blu-ray. You see a lot of flaws and dirt and, and junk. I mean, they they talk about this like a remastered in high definition. They just didn't clean up the print very well. Uh, it's fine. It. It, it don't ex, you know expect like just the earth shattering amazing Orson Welles transfer that you're going to get with uh, some of his other films. By the way, where the hell is uh, Magnificent Ambersons? Well, the thing with what? Ambersons is that uh, you know there's it, it's a weird movie. You know, I, I saw that projected at the Film Forum yeah. at, in New York, and the thing with that movie is that it's I don't know if it's because 
nobody will be satisfied until the lost reel of Magnificent Ambersons is found in Rio, wherever the heck it's supposed to be. Like, there's something about the film that, that even after all these decades, still it's never, feels that's unfinished. Never been, it's never been on DVD. No. And I'm not sure if it's a rights thing or... If, <sighs> so I mean, it's, it's, it, look, it's a huge piece of his history. It's one of the best films, probably the second or third best film from a director whose every film seemed completely yeah. compromised, misbegotten, True. taken away from him. Yeah. As great... As great as Orson Welles was, imagine if he got to make every film exactly as he wanted to make it. I know. would have been amazing. And not have the studio take it away from him. would have been amazing. Happened a number of times. Anyway. Well, and then uh, in addition to that, we also have Kansas City Confidential in the same kind of Blu-ray DVD combo pack. This is a great uh, great film noir uh, that also suffers from a, a so-so transfer. But it's uh, it's fine. It's got, you know, John Payne and uh, Colleen Gray, Lee Van Cleef. Uh, it's it, Jack Elam before he was all uh, nasty and crunchy looking. Um, what? Read, that. Read that. The picture that hits with bullet force and blackjack fury. Yeah, now that's yeah. a good, that's a good old fashioned what, tagline. 50s, uh, yeah. tagline. Yeah, uh, but that's out there as well. And then um, I also want to make mention because Mark loves Tyler Perry on DVD and on Blu-ray for Colored Girls, this which movie was terrible, and you loved it. I don't you know, know what's wrong no, well, with I don't you. love it. I don't it love it, but so I, it's so different from other Tyler Perry movies. Now this was this was originally a play which consisted of just a series of monologues of kind of feminist monologues monologues from a lot of different women with different struggles and trajectories. And uh, Tyler Perry expanded it. I'm not even going to try and read the name yeah, of it. Yeah, to per- make it a stupid Tyler Perry movie. Well, it's but it's not funny. It's not wacky. It's like very serious. It's and very, the, melodramatic. Here's very melodramatic. The, here's the thing. The, it's based on a play called uh, For Colored Girls Who've Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. And it was a huge, yeah. huge play. It was huge on Broadway. And they've been trying to make it into a movie for... Years, yeah, decades, true, forever, yes. And the idea that this this acclaimed, respected, groundbreaking African American centered play finally gets made into a movie, and it gets made into that. Well, it's not. Look, it's not terrible. It's an interesting film. It's it tells me that Tyler Perry is a better director than I ever gave him credit for because it is actually very interestingly directed, and his other movies have been terribly directed, and it doesn't have any of that wacky comedy that he has in it. It's a much better crossover film. Is it perfect? No. I mean, when these women break into those monologues, it just completely loses. It's like they step out of the movie and into these weird you know, uh, surreal monologue moments where you really feel that the play is being forced onto the movie, onto the frame of what should have been a different movie. But uh, there are some great moments in here and some very interesting casting. And I think Janet Jackson is terrific. And I think Kerry Washington is outstanding. And uh, Tandy Newton, so-so. Kimberly Elise, pretty good. You know, so it's uh, it's got its moments. I wouldn't say get it necessarily on Blu-ray. It doesn't demand Blu-ray, but uh, it's, it's decent on DVD. By the way, Tandy Newton... Delicious. Yeah, I feel okay. Thank you. That scene in Mission Impossible 16, which, whichever one it was, yeah. where she's uh, driving in some sort of a Ferrari, and she mm-hmm. like, spins out, she's got right. like, the long, straight hair. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful girl ever. All right. Did, now, did, uh, were you at the screening for Unstoppable? I was. Because I remember we, it was at Fox. Yeah. It was on a lot. Yeah. So we, we sit down to see this movie, and we're thinking, <laughs> oh, no. It's Tony it's Scott. It's Tony Scott it's and the train and Denzel train. Washington. It's going to be so and, bad. And, the, yeah. is, uh, and then we're watching it, and I don't know about you, but I'm like, all right. I'm with it. I'm with it. Yeah. And then you keep going. You're like, I like this. The theme to this movie, tell me if I'm wrong. The theme to this movie, don't be fat. 
That's true. <laughs> that that has motivated me to uh, eat a lot less. Uh, because the only reason that that train gets away is because the fat dude is too fat to actually catch up and uh, and hit the lever that stops it. By the way, speaking of fat, did you hear Kevin Smith has lost sixty five pounds? Yeah. Did you hear he's also going to retire? Well, that that and that Soderbergh is thinking of retiring in three years. Well, Soderbergh, that's that's a tragedy. Yeah, really but he is. can't. He can't. You know, he he maybe he just needs to take some time off. He, you know what? There's no way. They'll just like the Rolling. You know, you know who else retired? The Rolling Stones. Yeah, they haven't toured in thirty years. <laughs> they have another reunion tour, then another. You know, you know who else retired about thirty years ago? The Who. Yeah. They have not been on stage in thirty years together. It's unbelievable. <laughs> no, wait, they've been on stage every three years at another reunion tour. That's all they do. This is what Soderbergh will do. He's going to retire, and he's going to retire at fifty. He'll do a he'll direct a, an opera or do a ballet or something or sculpt something, <laughs> and then he'll come back and do a movie. Oh. Anyway, Unstoppable, not bad. I liked it. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I get it. It's fine. It's good. Uh, it's a mo- it moves fast, and there's a train, and then it's over, and you had a nice time. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, <laughs> I, I blurred I, that. I, I blurred that. Yeah, you know, a look, train. It's, an, it's, it, 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 it's kind of one of my pet peeves. It's a movie about an incident, not a story. And that's one of the things that people do now. 127 Hours is another problem movie in that regard. That it's, it's about an incident. And I don't want to see incidents. But for a movie about an incident, it's, it ain't bad. It sort of knows what it is. And I like the fact that if there is any CGI in this movie, there are only, only a couple of shots where I noticed CGI. And I know they had to be doing some compositing elsewhere. But otherwise, I wasn't aware of it. When I saw trains crashing and helicopters and cars slamming, it looked real to me. So as far as I was concerned, there wasn't a lot of computer tinkering, uh, at least none that was obvious, and I like that. But, uh, you know, Denzel, terrific. Um, yeah, I had a good time with it. Tony Scott does an audio commentary that is just a complete walkthrough. He, his heart is not in it. Uh, he's just doing it to get it done. But uh, what I did find interesting was on the rails with the director and cast, uh, a better-than-average, that and the, uh, the stunt featurette, better-than-average stuff. Better than average. I still think he did this film because he realizes he screwed up one of my favorite films as a kid, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. He screwed that up. He did. So he needed to do another train film. And real quick, uh, we're going to hit a couple other things here. Uh, For those of you who are fans of the Ghost House Underground films uh, from Lionsgate, they have released two of them on Blu-ray. Psych 9 with Carrie Elwes, who for some reason, what did he show up in recently for absolutely no reason whatsoever? Oh, he was in um, romantic comedy uh, with somebody. Totally unrecognizable. Like yes. he, had fur, he had a beard and he was in it for like 18 seconds and you yes. go, why is Carrie always in this movie? Alright, keep talking. I'm going to remember what it okay. was. Okay. And the other one is Stag Night. a doctor. Yeah, yeah. In something. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, Stag Night with Vanessa Shaw and Brecken Meyer. Um, you know, what was bo- that thing with uh, uh, the hospital? I, I picture it. Uh, I'm, do I have to go get my phone and look up my list nah, of I'll movies I've seen? I'll look it up in a second. Anyway, uh, these are both out there on Blu-ray. No great particular reason to get them unless you're a huge fan of both of these. The, uh, the mastering is the fine. The Natalie Portman thing. That's right. That's what he was in. What, what was it, it called? Uh, it, uh, it, uh, <laughs> it's it, so it, memorable. With the, the, yeah, that movie. No strings attached. No strings attached thing. My God. We see too many movies, dude. We were just saying this before the show. We're just like, we hate movies. Like, we're just so, we're so, like the end of last year burned us out more than, than we've been burned out it in It really years. has. I mean, the, like the last five weeks of, or just like the last four weeks of November, of, of, uh, November and December, that four-week blitz in there. Before we voted, that was just brutal. But I, I, I usually recover 
Yeah, I sometime by the end of January. Now, yeah. I, I'm, my battery is maybe twenty percent recharged. I agree, see, and we still have to see them. By the way, I know well, I'm still doing Oscar stuff. You know, we're doing a, we're doing our big film week thing at the Egyptian Theater on Sunday. I know that's cool. Yeah, Tim Tim's first uh, Tim's first gig. I at know. The Egyptian, yeah. I was thrilled to see that he was on a list of people doing it. We're not in the same group though. You know, they split it into two groups. They do. Yeah, one group goes up and talks about like uh, director and adapted screenplay and actor and supporting actress, and then the other group goes up and talks about the other two acting categories and then picture and the other screenplay and okay are you going to explain so, why toy story 3 is up for adapted screenplay i don't know and i don't think anyone does seriously what, what is up with that it makes no sense all right so anyway those two films from uh, ghost house underground de- decent blu-ray transfers but i wouldn't you know it's not like you're getting a great advantage out of them uh don't mentioned- do those do that do something well people need to oh, I, I will but people need to know about these things because this is important because <laughs> mgm uh through fox is now doing this uh this blu-ray and, and dvd to burn thing it's not blu-ray but it's dvd to burn right you it's like what warner does with their warner archives yeah you you order it and then they make it for you like it's made to order so you can't buy it in stores or anything, but there, you know, this is how so they can release a lot of those kind of obscure catalog films that just don't justify mass production cost. So they say, look, we've we've we got it available. If you want it, we'll like knock a, a DVD out custom for you, or you can watch it streaming. But anyway, a few of these from the uh, MGM archives is the Spikes Gang uh, with Little Ronnie Howard and uh, Lee Marvin and Charlie Martin Smith. That's Ronnie Howard and Charlie Martin Smith. I love that Charlie Martin Smith. Isn't that great? Charlie Martin Smith. The Spikes Gang. This was one of those Mirish films in the later days when the Mirish Company, that did a lot of those Billy Wilder films in the 60s, when they were uh, kind of on their last legs in 1974. Uh, but an interesting effort by uh, Richard Fleischer. Not, not the great Richard Fleischer. Not uh, a brilliant work for Lee Marvin, but a decent little Western. And then uh, we've also got uh, William Holden and Susanna York in The Seventh Dawn. Directed by Lewis Gilbert, who did a couple of kind of schlocky James Bond films. And uh, this is way too damn long, I got to tell you. This was 1964. This is over two hours long. And it's just a Cold War uh, thing with, you know, set in in Malaysia. Um, And uh, William Holden is, you know, holding the torch for for kicking commie butt. It's kind of like a pre-Vietnam, post-Korea propaganda film now here's the one you want this is the one you want this is the one you want uh you know i gotta tell you uh, it really dates well future world is a pretty great film better than westworld i think westworld star richard benjamin yeah isn't that just bizarre that's just weird but i gotta tell you yul brenner in this film this is pretty great pretty great uh, this is one of the classic science fiction films of the 70s, from 1976, just before everything turned with Star Wars and uh, Close Encounters. Uh, Peter Fonda is terrific. Blythe Danner is perfectly acceptable. Uh, and Yul Brynner playing this uh, robotic gunslinger is really great. It's, uh, you know, it, it, Future World is a pretty great movie. It's a pretty great, cool science fiction film from the 70s. Definitely check that out. Uh, so that's that's from the, the, uh, the whole MGM limited edition collection deal you know it and uh, they call these manufacturing on demand and uh if you're interested what a sexy name that is i know that's mod right it's silly but anyway um so go to mgm.com and uh find your way through with that they have not uh, they, they don't have it quite as uh, easily accessible as as warner does but uh you know it's it's a it's a good little thing that they got going it's a good little thing they got going. Manufacture on demand. Um, 
TV or a few more movies? Uh, let's do some movies and then some TV. Okay. Robert Downey Jr. and Chaplin. Uh, amazing performance uh, from a guy that I was actually in high school with. He was, you know, speaking of people I was in high school with, if this gets out there, Charlie, please, please pull it together. No, no more interviews until you pull it together. Did you hear these interviews? Yeah, he was on Dan Patrick's uh, oh radio show. Oh, my gosh. Where is the publicist who is supposed to put the, 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 the shackles on him? That, that, I, was not I, a good, that was not a good move. I don't think there are, there are shackles thick enough. That was not a good move. No. Like, stay away from crack unless you can, you know... Handle it. Handle it socially. Really? Like, seriously? Oh, no. Don't do that. Please, Charlie, don't do that anymore. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., though, he had some problems, and he pulled it together. And Chaplin, directed by Richard Attenborough, not as good as, say, Gandhi, which is kind of Chap- uh, Attenborough's uh, crowning achievement, but it's awfully good. Downey is just... He's unbelievable as, as Chaplin. And when you consider the fact that Charlie Chaplin was such an icon and is is so amazing in the movies that he did. I mean, how do you do justice to the great movie icon of all time? I mean, he is the great movie icon. There is no one other than Charlie Chaplin. He's sort of the original, the one, the only. How do you do justice to it? He does it somehow. Uh, it, this is a decent DVD transfer. This is from Lionsgate. It is not brilliant. It, uh, it deserves better, but it's better than DVD, so I'm going to recommend it. Uh, you get a, a little Chaplin home movie on here that's not that much, and a few other little featurette ditties. Nothing that is that stunning, but thank goodness there's no beady live stuff. And uh, just because this is a great movie and it's 15 years old, that makes me feel old. I'm going to recommend it. Oh, you know what, Mark? Here, I know this is what? this is this is this is all about you. It is. That's all about you. Oh my God! Another one of these damn things. <laughs> Can I say? I, even I'm sick of these things now. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000. This is uh, volume 20. I think I own like 15 of these. I'm, you know, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm over it. I don't even want this one. Uh, Project Moonbase, Master Ninja 1, Master Ninja 2, and the uh, only super funny one here, The Magic Voyage of Sinbad. And, of course, all I care about, and I say this all the time, all I care about are the ones that have shorts, and none of these have uh, shorts. So that's not good. There's some bonus features, including a new interview with um, Master Ninja guest star Bill McKinney and a new introduction by Trace Below, one of the um, uh, cast members. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's good. You know, these are available for streaming on Netflix, by the way. I know. So really... That's where you should watch them. Yeah, kinda. This isn't collectible anymore because you're really going to go, boy, I got a yearning for one of these. Let's well, pull it off the shelf. Look, as much as I love mystery science, even I have to admit that I don't need 15 of these damn things. No. Uh, what else we have? Uh, Tyler Perry's House of Pain. We just talked about Tyler Perry earlier with for Colored Girls. This is um, uh, this is volume six of his um, stupid TV show. 24 episodes. It's not funny anymore. And it was never funny to begin with. Eh, it had its moments. And you know what? This I have to say, okay, this show's stupid. Just forget it. Don't buy it. Don't rent it. No one cares. But... This does do the one thing that they used to do hmm. back when a DVD had no extras. What's that? Which is that they would list the episode titles. <laughs> That's right. Honey, this is the episode. This is the season that has the episode. Oh my gosh! A grand pain. Terrible. No, wait, wait, wait. On this three is the episode with friends like these. Dreadful. Honey, we have to get this. Yes, we do. Uh, Twilight Zone season three. The Twilight Zone is of Blu-ray. course uh, on Blu-ray, one of the all-time great uh, TV shows of all time. And by the way, you know, uh, Twilight Zone started in the late fifties, went straight to the sixties, and um, it holds up so well. I mean, these are great, 
essentially great short films. Yep. True. Uh, 19 audio commentaries on these. Uh, and some of the best uh, episodes are in uh, season three. Such good stuff. Game of Pool is in there. The one with um, Jackie Gleason. And uh, oh, there's so much good stuff. Isolated scores. You know, Bernard Herrmann did a lot of the music for Twilight Zone. There's isolated scores on there. There's 19 radio dramas. Uh, these are new ones. They mm-hmm. feature uh, Don Johnson, Blair Underwood, and of course, the late uh, Bruno Kirby. Isn't that weird that Bruno Kirby died? Yeah, that's so... Doesn't that just seem just, bizarre? It creeps me out. 37 episodes on Blu-ray. It looks, it's just fantastic. Twilight Zone is the best. Don't think to yourself, oh, it's old. It's probably stupid. Nope. These are great short they, they rule. You know what doesn't really rule is the fourth season of Spin City. And I know there are a lot of Spin City fans out there. And look, this had a great cast. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Alan Ruck, terrific on this. Uh, Richard Kind, Michael Boatman, uh, Barry Bostwick. But here's the reason the fourth season is problematic for me. This was the last season that Michael J. Fox was on the show. And you can tell things aren't right with him on this show and it knowing what we know now it, it just makes it very very hard to watch because all you do is even when the jokes come you just you sit there and you watch it and you go but the guy's suffering you know and it, it makes it very and I don't want to like belittle the show because he's given it his all and he won an Emmy for this this season as well but it makes it very hard to watch and uh, the only other plus there is that Heather Locklear joins the cast and every single time Heather Locklear joins the cast of a show it's usually because the show needs a boost. Uh, she's kind of like the, uh, the 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 last resort for all shows that are kind of on their last legs. Uh, but I always enjoyed Heather Locklear, and I will never forget that wonderful moment back in, oh, I don't remember, maybe the early 80s when, uh, when I was at Battle of the Network Stars and I watched Scott Baio choose to uh, dunk both Heathers in the, ba- in the uh, softball dunk. That was awesome. Heather Locklear and Heather Thomas from Dynasty and the Fall Guy. I that remember Heather great. Thomas. Heather Thomas used to live on, you know, Heather Thomas, I, I had to deliver a script to her house once. This is many years ago. She had one of those huge houses on uh, San Vicente Boulevard in Santa Monica. Yeah, true. Totally true. Uh, I want to mention some kid stuff before we get completely out of time here. We are running out of time. We've got a couple of Dora the Explorer things for those of you who like to torture your children. Uh, one is called Sisters and Brothers. And the other one is called uh, Dora's Ballet Adventures. This is uh, strictly for people who hate their children and uh, want to infect them with all kinds of very strange ideas. Now, here's what's interesting. If you, go to your, go to your, if you have a friend who has a little boy that you really dislike, uh, go over there and just put Ballet Adventures on and, and dress the little kid in a tutu and uh, see, what you're, see what those people do. They'll freak out. The brothers and sisters thing is meant to suggest that, you know, siblings love each other. It's nonsense. We all know that's not true. And then uh, Tom and Jerry Volume 1, Fur Flying Adventures, is uh, 14 cartoons that are so-so. Uh, I'm still waiting for the quintessential Tom and Jerry collection that, that has... Re- I mean, there's, there's nothing really amazing here. Uh, a lot of good stuff, but nothing just earth-shatteringly good. So... But I'll tell you what is good from the Warner Archive Collection and the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection, which is where a lot of the Hanna-Barbera Classic stuff is showing up now, is Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch, the complete series. This is a a terrific Hanna-Barbera show that kind of predates Cars, but it's the same kind of a thing. Uh, 13 episodes is all this series ran, but it uh, it's very clever. And, uh, you know, the the, the speed buggy had nothing on Chopper and the... uh, 
uh, on Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch. He Lame. Did, you, you like it. You Lame. like it. You know what they oh. thought? Oh, kids love cars. Let's do an animated show about cars. It, hey, it predates cars, and we're going to get Cars 2 from Pixar and Disney this summer. Yo, and, Cars and is the one Pixar this, film I don't like. This predated them all. I like Cars. I liked it. Did you? Yeah, I did. Route 66. I got got very nostalgic for Route 66. And I, I think I'm going to take off in the morning and go drive it all over again. 